I'm Steve, and welcome to the podcast today. Drinking my coffee, sitting here with Taylor. And Taylor, uh, how are you doing? Pretty good. So your car got the window smashed in. It did. And what <laughs> happened? They Somebody stole stuff out of it or what? Yeah, I was in the process of moving, and uh, I was stupid and decided I would leave the stuff in there overnight and... It happened to be that night that an old resident broke into the apartments, which then she broke into my car and then stole a car. So. Stole a car, but not your car. Not my car. She okay. just broke into my car. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, good thing she didn't steal your car. Although maybe that would have been better. I don't know. But <laughs> get the insurance there. Okay. Well, great, great. Hey, today we're going to talk about this guy named Augustine from the Bible. Uh, not from the Bible. <laughs> Augustine from history. And... Um, his contribution during the first thousand years of Christianity, he is the the most influential person. I could put it that way for the next thousand years. And his books and his books and commentaries and his writings all became uh, things that were influential even to the days of Martin Luther and John Calvin, some one thousand years later. So. Augustine was born in 354 A.D. His mother's name was Monica. She was a devout Christian. And we know from Augustine's writing and his biography that she prayed for him all her life. And eventually, uh, Augustine makes his way to Rome, and he has a son out of uh, wedlock um, from his mistress uh, at that time. And then at the age of 20, he begins teaching rhetoric at a university. Now, rhetoric is the, is the, it's kind of like debate. You can speak well and write well convincingly, and truth was not an issue. Just can you convince the other side that you're right? And uh, he, uh, rhetoricians would say, leave it to the philosophers to determine if it's true. A rhetoric person is just trying to verbally convince you of something that's true. It sounds like modern day America. I'm just trying to convince you that something's true. And so he, uh, lives in Egypt. He floats back and forth to Rome and so forth. And he just had this uh, struggle within his life, within his heart. You know, should I be a Christian or should I not? His mother's a Christian. She prays for him all the time. He knows about Christianity, but he has some intellectual difficulties with it. And But he, then he's around professing Christians, and he hears the whole thing about Jesus and Christianity, and he begins to struggle with that. But eventually... At the uh, age of 32, he uh, becomes a Christian in a very dramatic form, and he resigns his uh, professorship, and he's baptized in Milan, Italy, by an influential pastor by the name of Ambrose, and he becomes ordained as a, I'm going to call it a pastor, in uh, Hippo. Hippo is a place in North Africa, Egypt, I guess you would call Tunisia that area, and Eventually, he becomes the sole bishop or lead pastor for the entire area at that time. And he begins to uh, write volumes of material. He begins on the Trinity, begins to talk about who is Jesus. And he writes this uh, book called City of God, where he paints a picture of heaven on earth and as a city, a bright shining hill. And... Uh, eventually, he, he dies at the age of about 80. And um, 
and here's what he says about his own conversion. I'll just read it. During the space of those nine years, that's when he's struggling, from the 19th to the 28th year of my life, I was led astray and led others astray in my turn. We were all alike deceivers and deceived in all our different aims and ambitions, both publicly when we expounded our so-called liberal ideas and in private through our service to what we called religion. In public, we were, we were confident in private, superstitious, and everywhere on the inside, void and empty. On the one hand, we would hunt for worthless popular distinctions, the applause of an audience, prizes for poetry, or quickly fading at least one in competition. We loved the idle pastimes of the stage, and in self-indulgence, we were unrestrained. On the other hand, we were aspired to be purged of these lowly pleasures by taking food to the holy elect, as they were so-called, so that in their paunches it might pass through the process of being made into angels and gods who had set us free. These were the objects I pursued and the attacks I performed together with friends who, like myself, and through my fault, were under the same delusion. Let the proud deride me, O God, and all whom you have not yet laid low and humiliated for the salvation of the souls. But let me still confess my sins to you for your honor and glory. Allow me to beseech you to trace again in memory my past deviations and to offer you a sacrifice of joy. Without you, I am on the brink of my own guide to perdition. And even when all is well within me, what I am but a creature uh, uh, feeding on yourself the food that never perishes. And what is man that he is only man? Let the strong and mighty laugh at men like me. Let us, let us with weak and the poor confess our sins to you. Confessions, book 5, chapter 1. So Augustine has his inner turmoil all his life. Um inside of him and the story is that well he writes it he says he was sitting alone in a in the backyard i'm just going to paraphrase here and and children are playing out in the alley and he hears somebody say take and read take and read and he and he hears a child yell that and so augustine at that point uh decides he would take a bible and he cracks it open to the book of romans and it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Augustine goes ahead and writes that that is um, where he becomes a believer. He submits his life to Christ. He believes in Christ at that, at that point. So Augustine, uh, from that point forward, became a staunch defender of Orthodox Christianity. The word Orthodox means the normal beliefs that we've always believed about uh, about God and about Jesus. So let me give you an example of that. Uh, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Um, we believe in the Trinity. We believe Jesus, the Son of God. So those things he went to battle for against weird groups of the day. And so Augustine, from the point of his conversion, began begins to oppose those uh, who were outside of orthodoxy because of infiltrating the church. So in his day, he went after them. So I'm going to give you a couple things that, that he developed that people still talk about today, actually. So one is predestination. Augustine was big into predestination, that people were uh, marked out ahead of time to be saved. So that was his... That was one of the things he wrote about significantly, and he got that from Romans chapter 9, 
and Ephesians chapter 1, some other verses. So he develops that idea of predestination. John Calvin picks that up a thousand years later and comes up with double predestination, that some people are predestined to heaven and some people are predestined to hell. So when we get to John Calvin, we'll talk about that one. That'll be fun. Then Augustine developed what we call the just war theory. And that, and that is still talked about, and some of his points are still used today. The just war theory is his thinking, when is it just and right to go to war? When should a country or even individuals uh, go, uh, you know, respond in violence or uh, have an army attack another army or defend itself? And so during his time period, Rome was sacked by the Vandals. There was probably just like today, there are wars going on in the world. And Augustine develops this. And so a couple things that Augustine would say is that there is a time and there's a righteous time to defend others and take up arms. People who do so uh, should wear uniforms. They should be well marked. You should leave civilians out of it. He put a lot of thought into this uh, idea called the just war theory. And he struggles and he writes about pacifism too. And he comes to the conclusion that uh, there are times and moments where war is justified. Augustine also wrote this book called City, City of God, and it became prolific at the time, and it introduces the concept that, that Christianity is growing across the world, and there will be a place where everyone will see that, that the earth will continue to be Christianized. Uh, and that God will be seen. And so he writes about that in his uh, city on a city of God, city on a hill. And incidentally, the pilgrims who came to America had that book and those thoughts with them. So ideas have implications and ideas have legs. And that idea of Augustine that carried a thousand years later when pilgrims and Puritans came to the United States, they thought this land, they would create their own city on a hill that everybody would see Christ. Another thing that Augustine talks about that was a brand new idea was called amillennialism, and that's a term that I'm guessing, Taylor, you've never heard that term, amillennialism? I have not. Yeah, so I'll try to explain Does it have you. anything to do with uh, minimalism? No. No, But okay. that's a good guess. <laughs> that's, I can see you get that. So millennialism is the idea there's going to be a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. And we get that from the book of Revelation, where it actually says there will be a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. And so up until um, before Augustine, Christians all believed in what we call premillennialism. That would be that Jesus Christ would return to earth and then set up a 1,000-year reign upon this earth. And then there would be a new heaven and a new earth. I need a flow chart for that. Amillennialism is, Augustine said, there is no millennium. It's a spiritual thing. And so he slightly allegorized the Bible at this point because he's the first one to say there is no thousand-year reign of Christ. Christ reigns in our hearts today, and that was Augustine's thought. Now, why was he um, 
why why would he switch from everybody else who had a different view at that time? Well, one is what was going on in his own hometown was that people were, um, after somebody died, Christians were getting these plaster cases together because they thought that at any moment the reign of Christ was coming and they were acting kind of foolishly. And Augustine went to battle against this foolishness of these plaster cases in which they put people waiting for the resurrection uh, for this thousand-year reign of Christ. But Augustine carries it, in my opinion, way too far, and he develops this system of amillennialism. A lot of churches today believe in that, and and so there are differing opinions about that. So, um, but what he's really known for is the Pelagianism controversy, and that was where a British monk by the name Pelagius denied original sin. When we say original sin, we're just talking about our people uh, pr- do human beings have the propensity to sin on their own? Am I disposed that way? Do I lean in that direction of rebellion? And Pelagius said no. Augustine said yes. And he says sin corrupts all of us, even our thinking, and we need Christ. So um, Pelagius denied that, and that became a big issue. Pelagius said grace is not necessary to become a Christian because I have my own— I have enough ability on my own to choose Christ. And Augustine said, you don't have enough ability. You need God's grace. It's absolutely necessary. And so that erupted into a big fight. And the idea, the issue was, is redemption the work of man or is it the work of God? And so that became a struggle at that point. And Augustine jumps into the middle of that, and they have a church council on it. And they kick Pelagius out of the church and call him, a, call him a heretic. And he is kind of brushed aside at that point. So Augustine becomes very influential because of all of those, all of those things. So one of the questions what I kind of think about with Augustine is why is one person so influential for the next thousand years of Christianity compared to everybody else? I don't have an answer for that. Other than the fact that he was verbally persuasive, and in his writings, he was persuasive as well. And so Augustine becomes the most important theologian from the time of his, when he starts writing, let's just call it 400 AD, until John Calvin, some 1,100 years later. And so many, many uh, church commentators and theologians after Augustine always quote him. You have to be in line with Augustine or you're kind of laughed out of the church. And in that sense, it's pretty unfortunate that people can't have a differing opinion without being brushed aside in some of these issues that may not be quite as important um, as well. So that's Augustine of Hippo. And I'm just going to ask Taylor, have you ever heard anything about Augustine before? Is this all brand new to you? I've heard a little bit about um, St. Augustine and his mother. Um, oh. Yeah, but very little, though. So this was a lot of new information for me. Yeah, brand new. Yeah, so how did you hear about Augustine? Augustine, um, I think I heard about him from the Catholic Church first, but there's also a play called The Trials of Judas where I learned a lot about um, Augustine and his mother. Okay, and what's The Trials of Judas? What's that play about? I've never heard of it. I haven't seen the full play, so I couldn't give you a full description, but it's uh, essentially uh, it's a trial with <laughs> with Judas. Okay. And um, 
it's it takes place right in between heaven and right in between hell and all these influential figures from the past come to give their point of view mm-hmm. on what should be done with judas and um and augustine comes up in that play yes so uh monica talks about her son augustine and how he struggled with christ and that was uh her major point in her case with, with judas okay yeah very interesting so augustine is the begins to be the one of the early systematic theologians he takes and a systematic theologian takes the major themes of the bible and helps us to understand them so the bible is a pretty big book the english version of your bible has about seven hundred fifty thousand words and so there are some major themes in that and so a systematic theologian like augustine uh, looks at all of the bible and is able to talk about the major themes through there and so he begins what we would call the age of the theologians because he is one of the first to systematize those major themes in the bible okay any question about augustine that is all that's all great hey i'm steve and welcome to our podcast we're talking about history uh, for the next several weeks here and so we'll be doing that and trying to inform people not only about history but the flow of christian thought from the first century we looked at Perpetua, the young lady who stood firm on her ground that Christ, that Jesus is the Savior, refused to yield. She was murdered. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin. Origen, who uh, often interpreted the Bible as an allegory and made mistakes in doing that. And now we just finished Augustine. And so we will move forward through some Christian history things to see not only names of people, but also their contributions, what we can learn from them, what we can learn from the past. Hey, I'm Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here uh, listening to us, and we will catch you next time. Grace and peace be with you.